this podcast is empowering men to step out of their vulnerability shame, ignite self-expression, self-love, and surrender into freedom. Welcome to my Sensuality Empowerment Podcast. My name is Sharon Hoffman. I am dedicating this podcast as a platform for men to feel inspired by the people I interview in the sensuality community. I want to encourage men to open up, to get curious and explore how tapping into their sensuality can be life-changing. As a coach, I help men to break away from their limiting beliefs or conditioning they may associate with shame, guilt or unworthiness, especially when it comes to intimacy, self-love, relationships or their purpose. Sensuality for me is about being in your vulnerability, your softness, passion and rawness. It's giving yourself permission to be seen and heard in all of your essence. A lot of men won't admit to their struggles or challenges they face with their self-worth or living in their true power, their authenticity. They hide behind what I like to call the armor, their protection shield. They are afraid of getting hurt or even feeling judged. When men hide away from truly owning themselves, they lose their power and unconsciously become disconnected emotionally or sexually. I am so grateful to be connected and work with inspiring leaders in the sensuality community. These people have helped me on my own journey to becoming a sensual woman, so it's now my turn to give back to the community. This podcast will cover a range of insightful, juicy, and sometimes very confronting topics around sex, love, and relationships. Welcome to my podcast interview. I am so excited to finally be launching my podcast and even more excited to be speaking with a very beautiful, handsome, proud, gay, indigenous man who goes by the name of Jai Allen. I met Jai over a year ago at a dance event called Mojo Dance, which is known as the Dance of Connection. It's very based on sensuality, dancing in your sensuality. And I remember seeing Jai across the room on the dance floor thinking, wow, this is a man who is so comfortable in his body. He was so expressive. He was very much in his sensuality and just owning the dance floor and his vulnerability, but also held himself in his masculine energy as well. He must be just over six foot, so he's very tall. He just has this presence about him. So even though I think being in his sensuality perhaps comes quite naturally for him being more in that feminine energy, 
he also is able to hold himself in that very in, in his strength and really own himself with a lot of um, with a lot of power unconsciously. So when I saw him, I thought, "Gosh, I want to know who I, I need to know who this man is." So I have been very fortunate to get to know Jai in the past year. And I have come to see there's a lot more to Jai than just his good looks and his sexy dance moves. He is a really uh, prominent and uh, impactful man in the Aboriginal community here in Melbourne. And I was really keen to get Jai onto my podcast to hear his story, to understand more about his background and his journey coming into uh into his sensuality as a gay man and how impactful you know this work that he's been doing as a performer as an actor as a dancer yeah how this has has changed and transformed him so I think you're going to really enjoy this podcast I had a lot of fun with Jai He's a very wise, young, talented man, and I just love the fact he was so open throughout the whole interview, and we touched on a, a really sensitive topic. Uh, we talked about depression. He suffered depression for many, many years and was heavily reliant on antidepressants until he moved to Melbourne and decided to take himself off the medication and take the holistic road. And through sensuality, uh, being able to express himself through movement, his dance and performance was a way to heal his body, heal his uh, mind and spirit. Hi, Jai. Welcome to my first podcast interview. I'm so excited that you're actually my first podcast guest because you're someone that I've really enjoyed getting to know in the past year. Uh, I know we predominantly connect on the dance floor, but I have seen you on the sidelines too. And you have such a, a presence in the community because I know you are involved in a, in a few different things, uh, a lot obviously in, in the um, sensuality scene, but also you have a presence in the Indigenous uh, scene as well. So you're very much in the Aboriginal uh, community and play a big part in that. So I'm really, I'm just really excited to be talking to you and hearing a bit more about your journey um, uh, as a as a man that is very comfortable in his skin uh, and very comfortable in being seen in all of you. So I would love for you to talk me through your journey and perhaps start with, you know, giving us a bit of an overview to your background. Um, background. So... And hi, by the way. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I didn't give you the opportunity <laughs> to say hi. <laughs> um, my background, so uh, I grew up in Brisbane um, in a single parent family mostly. So my dad's Indigenous mm-hmm. and my mum has blonde hair and blue eyes. And mm-hmm. I was um, I was probably the fairest, um, the first born in my family and the fairest child so far okay so having mixed blood and um how many siblings 
Uh, right now, she's I have... still she's still uh, breeding. <laughs> <laughs> right now, <laughs> <laughs> it <sounded bad>. <laughs> still breeding. <laughs> I love it. She's still um, going. Nah. Um, so. With my mom, I've got a brother and a sister, younger brother and sister, and with my dad and his and his wife, um, who I also call my mum. Uh, there's two other sisters that I have and have a very close relationship with as well. Right. Yeah, and um, yeah, I just kind of uh, grew up uh, in between two very different communities. Mm. Um, with an indigenous family and a non-indigenous family that was separated by its own means, Mm -hmm. um, by the relationship of my mum and dad, um, from a very young age, from about four or five. Mm. And, um, from that point on, it was then trying to work out who I am and where I fit in either of these communities. Mm, And that's been a journey that has actually taken place. Um, I think, you know, I'm nearly 30 now, but, that journey probably took a good 28 years until I started to really start to feel into it and, and that I could belong in my own place between the two of them there. Mm. I, can, I can imagine the, um, the conflict for you as well. Definitely a lot of conflict. Mm. And um, I guess that, that has been the journey um, in and of itself. I guess the main the main thing to sum up my journey would be the word shame. Mm, yeah. And it's something I'm really passionate about talking to people about. Yeah. Um, you know, not just in my identification as an Aboriginal person. Mm. Shame is a, it's a huge part of your life as an Aboriginal person. Whether, you know, you're, you're a fair Aboriginal person or, or someone who's dark-skinned, um, it's, it's about the loss of culture. It's, it's about healing. Um, it's about dealing with traumas that have been handed down to you, um, throughout the generations. Mm. Um, and still being someone who's on the front lines, like as an Aboriginal person, you're automatically on the front lines, still fighting Mm. for what is right for your people, because we are still around, Mm. um, centuries after, after, you know, um, white settlement and, and colonization mm. and, um, there's still issues that we're facing systemized, um, issues, mm. um, throughout our society and just across the country in general. And then, um, so it's a shame from being an Aboriginal person. And there's the shame facing up to your sexuality, sure. um, the shame facing up to yourself and, mm. um, and then the other part of it is, is, lifting yourself from the shame so you can be in a position where, um, where people might start to recognize you as a leader in whatever it is you do. Mm. So where, why the shame in your sexuality, where did that come from? And I suppose Mm. culturally as well. I know, um, from my experience, I had a lot of shame when I was young. Um, I know our generation's slightly different, but, I'm slightly older than you, but I um, I carried on to a lot of shame with actually suppressing my culture of being you know, half Japanese and not accepting that part of me. So for you, is that where the shame came from? Did you accept this part of you know, your culture? Mm. Did you embrace it at a young age? That's a good question. 
I feel like um, culturally that never actually entered my sphere until these later years in my life okay. when that conversation started to become a lot more prominent, especially with um, the marriage equality survey. Mm. So you have Aboriginal communities that say that um, it's not within Aboriginal tradition um, for same-sex relationships to exist. Um, and they declare that, you know, it's not supported by the Aboriginal community and that sort of thing. Um, and you think to yourself, well, that's a little bit weird because I've never heard that before amongst my mob. Mm. I've never heard that amongst my family Mm. before. Um, so that's something really only starting to deal with now, but I'm also firm enough to say, well, this is my life and I know where I sit within my culture and I know what my responsibilities to my mm-hmm. culture is and I know what I uphold and those people don't speak for me and they certainly don't speak for all Aboriginal people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the shame mainly comes around in our sexuality. Um, mainly, I think it's just been a normal part of the process of it's still some same-sex relations are still stigmatized. Absolutely. That's why we're having these discussions mm. because it's stigmatized and there's still a lot of people who, who feel as if it, it may not be right. Mm. Um, and we have a society built around that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So it's been about just dealing with, with myself within that paradigm Mm. and owning myself in it and saying, well, what is going to help me lead a happy life? What's going to help me lead a truthful life? Mm. And that's being, yeah, true to, true to my sexuality and letting myself have that, giving myself permission to enjoy that and what it has to offer. Yeah. And, um, Jai, when did you own yourself? When did you actually say, Mm. Hey, look, this is who I am. Uh, I remember I was 21. I was 21. I was working on a show with Cirque du Soleil and I was back home in Brisbane with the show at the time and I was going out with a friend and uh, another friend, I ran into them in the street and um, I said, oh, you should come out clubbing with me. And I was like, Oh, okay. And you know, at that point I was 21 and I was drinking a lot and all the rest of it. Mm. I believe I was very drunk at that point. And I was like, yeah, let's, let's catch up. Cause it was an old school friend that I just run into. Mm. And, um, I went out clubbing with them and it's, um, it's one of the more popular gay clubs in Brisbane. And, um, had you come out at that stage? No, I hadn't. I definitely hadn't come out. I had been thinking about it and that was part of my journey that year. I remember very Mm. specifically, Mm. um, it was quite a few things going on for me. And I was like, if I was to come out because I was starting to understand, no, I definitely like guys, then this will alleviate some of the pressure that I'm feeling in my life amongst all of this other stuff. Mm. It will take off the exacerbation. Mm of it all Mm. and yeah I went out and I really just enjoyed myself dancing and guys never really opened my really came into my mind that night um they're like getting attention from guys was really nice but I just loved dancing Mm. out with my friends and then I ended up going back again (laughs) the next week 
and um, and then it was uh, then it was a matter of going out with my friends uh, with Cirque du Soleil and um, and and you know touring culture has its own perks and it's very intimate and I had my first kiss and um it kind of went from there beautiful you haven't looked back I haven't looked back no they look forward yeah yeah I'm curious to know what you were doing with the Circus LA oh it was just something very minor I actually I shouldn't I don't even want to say that I shouldn't use the word just because um, I went in with creative aspirations um, and then I wasn't going to get far with, with that at that point in my life. Mm-hmm. I had way too much going on in my head to, to make any progress there. But I had the opportunity to tour and help um, kind of manage what the front of house experience was going to look like and um, train new staff members on the tour route and um go from there so it's very it was a very unique experience mm. um and it was probably the most it was probably the most informative time of my life mm-hmm. at that point mm-hmm. I, I think there was definitive experiences that i had and i think that was the first one that really informed me and cultivated um who i am as as an adult and what i want out of life mm. Mm. awesome great so let's talk about um Let's talk about mojo dancing because I'm sure there's a lot of people uh, that haven't heard about mojo dancing and that's where we met on the dance floor. Mm. And I, I'll let you explain mojo to the, to the, to the listeners actually. Okay. Mojo dance. It's a intimate space to explore, uh, explore the sacredness within yourself uh, within other people, um, explore your sensuality and the concept of intimacy, mm. um, through movement mm. and often through, um, mostly through nonverbal communication. Um, I guess the broader way to explore it, a slow dance social, if we wanted to think about it in a more commercial, yes. um, terms, um, but it's so much more than that, so isn't it? Words. Yeah, it's really hard to put into words, isn't it? Or to wrap it Definitely. up in a box. It's really hard to try and define mojo dance. But for me and what it's brought into my life um, has been really beautiful. It's mm. enabled me to drop into my feminine in a very safe space and be amongst people from all walks of life and the sort of connection and the energy that you're able to share with someone mm. is is very special and you may not even see that person again, but you share a very special moment in that dance. Oh, absolutely. And that's what I love about it. Absolutely. Mm. It's like going out clubbing without the alcohol and the drugs. Oh, it's... You leave on such a high. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. The the, the high, the groundedness, Mm. the way you're able to perceive yourself and other people. It's like without all the blinds down. The reflection. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. And it's just such a moment of total surrender. Mm. I feel like, you know, there's so many dance spaces that that Mm. I dabble amongst Mm -hmm. from time to time. But this is the one where I feel like I can fully surrender and begin a process of opening up in into myself and back out to the world again yeah. after a month of 
constant folding and unfolding and 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 all the rest of it there so when did you when did you start to do or get involved with mojo mm. dance i got involved in mojo dance i remember august 2015 oh wow okay a few years ago mm. Mm. i'd i'd known about it for a bit i'd Remember, Jules, a facilitator, I saw her at a workshop I went to, a branding and marketing workshop held by my acting mentor. And I was quite interested because my acting mentor was going to Mojo Dance and a couple other dance spaces. And she told me about it. And I'd always felt like that is what I wanted to drop into. Mm. And I had some friends visiting from Brisbane and I thought, oh, they would really appreciate at least conceptually what it is. I'd never been to Mojo either. So the three of us went and I know that all three of us really enjoyed sensual experiences, which is what I got most out of the, out of the description of Mojo. Mm. Um, we're all Scorpios who, who enjoy the, the intimacy yes. of being by self and, and maybe one-on-one interactions with other people, exploration and going deeper. Mm. Um, and it was me who came out of it really enjoying it um my friends maybe not so much but for me I was I think I was in the the place in my life where I could really get the most out of it and what I was really needing was healing Mm. more than anything I was in a relationship a long-term relationship at the time that um was very codependent and I feel like uh both of us weren't giving each other what we needed and it was on the last of its legs and it's like I was actually starting to look for what I needed in in other places. Um, and I knew that there'd be some sort of emotional dependency and um, physical interaction with other people um, that didn't cross any any lines at all mm-hmm. in this one space mm-hmm. of, of movement. Yeah, it was powerful. I, I still remember the first time I, I went to Mojo Dance and... Just the vulnerability, the allowance of dropping into your vulnerability, like all expressions are welcome. Like there were people that were crying, you know, Mm. laughing and just being you and all is welcome and there's no judgment. However, I do remember there was a few people I, you know, because when you're kind of free dancing and then you just gravitate to someone and then end up having a dance to them, with them, I remember the judgment that came across to begin with judging that person like oh that wouldn't be really someone I'd usually dance with mm-hmm. you know he looks a bit feral or you know <laughs> it's like, oh. you know, a trust element too um but I do remember this one time I, I had this dance with this guy and yeah he wasn't someone that I would usually perhaps gravitate towards and want to dance with but I, I reckon I got the the gift I needed from my own healing experience with him it was so powerful. Absolutely. I had the most amazing connection with him. Mm-hmm. And it was just beautiful. It left me, yeah, it just left me feeling so empowered as a woman. He made me feel very, very empowered. Yeah, Doesn't it, it surprise you? Yeah. It's the people that you least expect that yes. really change always, your experience. Always. Every time I go to Mojo, I always get that. I always mm. want to dance with someone that I think, oh, I'm not sure if we're going to gel because I know that they have the gift for me. Definitely. I always find it's when I dance with older women Mm. that I find I get the most from, and I'm not too sure that I've worked out why that is so far. Um, But I think there's a gentleness 
that I need. Mm. Um, and also there's an openness from them that sees something in me that I don't like to recognize in myself. Mm. That's good recognition. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. It's good to, to recognize that. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. Um, so tell me, uh, well, I, I know that you are a, an actor and a performer. So can you talk a bit about, about that background? Okay. That all started for you. Yeah. Yeah. Started from when I was a little boy. Oh. I was doing school shows. <laughs> so you just knew. You just... Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. It was always, I wanted to be a vet. And, um, we had a lot of animals growing up. <laughs> Guinea pigs, <laughs> chihuahuas, cats. Chalks, ducks, all manner of animals. And um, and then so it went from um, being a vet to wanting doing my first performances in primary school and wanting to then perform and then really enjoying it and going, this is my lifeline in school. This is what I'm enjoying in school and what's getting me through my year all the way throughout high school. Um, even it was really cultivated from my drama teacher in high school. If I have so much to thank of her. Um, without her introducing abstract concepts that I could really thrive in. Mm. Um, in That'd be rare, rare, quite rare too. It, and I'm sure in high school, not many teachers that were probably innovative like that with their exactly. acting performance. And can I tell you, I remember the one activity where I felt straight away, yeah, it's the first time in my life where I felt this whole other connection. It was simply... It's large Polynesian woman, Mrs. Williams. I love her to bits. And I'm still in contact with her to this day. Awesome. And she's just calling out mill and seed, mill and seed. Everyone walk in and out of each other. It's just simple exercise. It's just mm-hmm. walking in and out. But it was this whole abstract way of exploring myself in space and my relation to myself and other people that I'd never had before. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we walk amongst each other in the real world, but we do it getting A to B. Yeah. And we do it with our walls up. That's right. Blinkers too. Exactly. Very, it's just habitual. You don't even yeah. think about it. You just walk. And, you, and sometimes when I'm in the car and I'm driving, I can't even remember how I got to A to B. <laughs> 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 how did I get here? How did I even get here? It's like, yeah, yeah. It was, it's refreshing when you can break that and, and being in a space where that happened at such a young age, it's like something that I wanted my whole life, but never knew it. And once I was there, I was like, this is me. This is my exploration of the world. Um, this is how I explore. And, and my teacher actually really cultivated that and encouraged me to keep on um, doing drama classes in high school. And she was the only teacher who ever encouraged me to keep on doing something. Mm. Um, I had other teachers who said, oh, maybe you should take this as well. I think you'd be really good at it. But she's like, you need to keep on doing this. Mm. And it opened me up extraordinarily. So I went to university, did some acting there, did uh, studied drama, which is more about theater craft and theater making, had some acting intertwined. I did stage shows um, here and there, um, amateur and professional. But it wasn't until I moved to Melbourne um, in 2014. First, uh, that, that year um, was quite tumultuous. Moving from Brisbane with my partner, who was in music theatre, and my partner um, moved down with a lot of friends from university. And we all lived together. And, um, and I felt very 
alone at the time um, because I didn't have any of my best friends. I just cultivated this huge circle in Brisbane. Not huge, quite a small circle. I'm very selective. Um, But a tight circle. Very tight circle, extremely tight circle and a very specific way of living together as well and and honoring each other. And, um, And then not having that anymore. Uh, it really threw me for a loop. And then, of course, the weather here in Melbourne mm. <laughs> took that further. So I'd been medicated for a clinical depression um, for uh, about four or five years at that point in time. Oh, wow. Um, okay. And that was quite tumultuous. I decided moving to Melbourne that I didn't want to be on medication anymore. Mm. Um, it was harmful to me in a lot of ways. Um, that's difficult to describe, but on the surface libido is affected um the weight gain um sometimes my mental capacity just wasn't there um the fogginess exactly Mm -hmm. so um i made a very conscious decision to change the way i was living and i researched food science to to help manage my depression better um but i still felt very empty and a year later, I contacted. I back. So when you came off the meds, mm. what did you do? What did you do to substitute what you were taking? Oh, uh, I stopped drinking altogether because I was drinking while I was on the meds. Okay. Of course, you're instructed, depending on the medic medication, not to drink. Yeah. Um, and you doing the going the natural kind of road to try and you know, substitute the. Yeah. Duty yeah. That you were on. I started to, um, I was put on a medication called Valdoxin to help manage my sleep cycles mm-hmm. because also uh, a big part of that was I was grinding my teeth from the medication 24 seven. Wow. Was it one of the effects it has? Absolutely. It okay. drove me crazy, mm. cracked my teeth, everything. Wow. So Valdoxin was going to help me sleep and stabilize my moods. And it was a drug that uh, had only been certified in Australia, outside of Europe, nowhere else in the world. So my doctor wanted to try and lessen and, and wean me into into a lifestyle that was more ideally clean for, for me at the time. Sure. And um, so, yeah, I started to research my body um, I put about two years of research into my body and into food science, understanding the link between serotonin production mm-hmm. in your gut um, and how that affects me mentally uh, to the point where I came up with a diet that really worked for me. And I'm happy to say that in two years um, since then, uh, since I got that, I've only experienced something near a depressive spiral, perhaps once. Though I'm really happy with the way that I managed it. I got that through with very little support externally. Mm. Um, so food, food has predominantly been your medicine. Absolutely. The diet. Diet and, and dance. Yeah. Beautiful. Diet, dance and acting. Mm-hmm. Because that, that, was the other, that was the other key bit. So because I felt something else was missing and... My relationship was on the brink and I was looking at acting schools here in Melbourne. I knew I couldn't afford to go to one when I moved here. I needed to get a job. That got me a little bit more depressed 
I left my last job at Apple, um, which was an amazing company to work for with an incredible culture, but I felt like I needed to work creatively within Mm. myself and not being able to commit to that when I moved to Melbourne was a huge blow. Mm. And I still kept on looking at acting schools. I contacted an acting teacher about a workshop she was holding. And then I got tickets to the Lion King in Sydney, (laughs) the weekend she was holding it. So I didn't go, but she stayed, I stayed in her mailing list. And because she stayed, because I stayed in her mailing list, um, she was always on my mind for a good year. And a year later I contacted her and I was at the brink then. I just moved into an apartment with my partner and we weren't going great. I was feeling empty still. And I contacted this acting teacher and I said, look, I want to get back into acting, but I don't feel like it's acting I need from you. There's something I need to change in my life. And I don't know what it is, but I know that what you do for some reason is exactly what I need. So what do you have that I can come to? And she said, well, I've got a big beginner's course as an early bird rate right now. I'd be really happy for you to have, have this last place. I paid it all up front. And the minute I walked into that room and she told me to lie down and just breathe and I can just be whoever I am, express myself wherever I'm at. I could scream, I could cry, whatever. And that's just the warm up, just going into the space. And that was when I was like, I'm at home. And then the acting technique itself was a series of exercises designed to get you present and designed to get you relating to yourself authentically and then relating to other people authentically. Mm. And that changed everything. From that point on, I started to be lifted from a lot of the traumas um, that I had within myself that I hadn't dealt with Mm -hmm. since I was a child even. Mm. And... And that shame was lifted from me, that shame I was talking about. Mm-hmm. So I was able to accelerate into my potential. And then finally, when I was doing a year-long course with her last year, I decided to let myself have an agent. Amongst all of my insecurities that I have about my physical appearance, the way I move, the way I sound, um, my marketability and all the rest of it, I still let myself have that. And from that... You had some doubt. I definitely had doubt. I still have doubts every day. Beautiful man. It's hard to to actually imagine that you have doubts and yeah, definitely, and the way that you act and perform. But that's that's part of the job, right? Just letting go. And I'm not 100 percent there. I'm going to let go all of the time. That's all of our challenge Mm -hmm. um, for every single one of us. Um, But that's the craft as well. The craft is an exploration of self yeah. and being brave to let go and not be in control and not care as much. And that's where, that's where you find your humanity and that's where you find your connection to true self and allow others to connect to you. There's this language, even though we each speak different languages, it's an energetic connection that's mutual in that once you let go. Yeah. And so now it's film and television mostly. And that has its, that has its challenges and it's been an amazing learning experience for the past year. Um, but one that I'm really grateful for. Beautiful. 
Well, thanks for sharing that story. No, you're that welcome. It's beautiful. If listeners are interested to know a bit more about this particular acting method, um, mm-hmm. it's with Claire, I believe. That's Maybe right. I'm not sure of her... Her school, what's, what's her school called? Okay, so Claddy's school was called Meisner Melbourne. So it's no longer around. Okay. Um, because uh, I don't want to really speak for Claire, but from everything that she always communicated with us, um, she has a lot more to offer in her brand, um, in her personal brand. And the Meisner technique was just one thing that she used with her students. It was just one tool mm-hmm. um, amongst everything that she has to offer. And, you know, the, a good acting teacher or a great acting teacher will do whatever they need to do to do the best by their students, to bring out the best for them. Sure. So you can actually work with her one-on-one? Absolutely. So Claire's school, uh, Meisner Melbourne, was built on something called the Meisner Technique. And the technique was, um, was uh, I guess... Molded. It was uh, conveyed and molded by a man called Sanford Meisner and a group of his students over over the years, over several decades. He was a New York acting teacher who um, was part of a group of people who'd gone over and um, really observed Stanislavski's work in Russia, and they went back to America, and they all had different ideas about how to get the most, uh, the best behavior. From, from people, but mm. he was definitely of the opinion that actors don't listen. Mm. Um, they can indulge uh, in themselves a little bit too mm. much and um, without really putting their attention on the outside scope also. Um, so then it's not an authentic performance anymore mm. and an audience will call bullshit mm. on that. Yeah. So uh, they made these exercises just designed to get you present in your body, out of your thinking brain. And your, your thinking brain's valid. It's a part of your process. You need it. You're, you're still thinking when you're acting, mm. but in a way where you're not engaging with your brain so much as yeah, it drops files. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so this technique, uh, well, the exercises, if I, if I could explain them, something called the repetition exercise mm-hmm. is, is the foundation of it. And it's simply standing or sitting across from another person and, and looking at them in the eyes. And, and there's four main basis to it. There's called a uh, behavior repetition. There's facts, feelings, and opinions. And, um, behaving is simply just constantly acting and reacting with each other, behaving, actually doing. And then, um, Facts might be calling out, uh, you're wearing a blue shirt, something that, that really couldn't be argued against. Everyone would come to a general consensus. Or you pointed at me. Mm. And the other person would, uh, they'd repeat that without judgment. I pointed at you. You pointed at me. Until it organically changes. Mm. You have feelings. You're making me feel. Um, and, and the other person would own that they're making you feel like that. Um, without the judgment and, and you, you say it, you're making me feel like this without apologies. Right. Okay. And then when it organically changes, that's, that's when the script changes and, um, and then there's opinions. So looking at you right now, I might say you're a sister um, because the way you're looking at me, you're we're sitting here, we're laying down, we're laying down, down, down next bed. to each other. Yeah. <laughs> it's 
very cozy. Yeah, very cozy, very casual. It might be what, you know, what siblings or, or friends do, right? So... Um, opinions could be anything from your sister, your mother, you're an asshole. Like, and it's about owning all the possibilities of the, of those, of those things in you. Because if someone calls out to me, you're an asshole, maybe it's because in that moment I am an asshole and owning it, owning that you have that in you. It's, it's very liberating mm-hmm. because you're not repressing it. You're being accountable for, for something. Um, what you've been accountable for how someone's feeling, how you're making them feel. Well, I perception is reality. Um, I can't, I can't count. I, I can't control how someone feels and we get triggered by all different things there, mm-hmm. but the, the possibility that something exists um, and then flying with it, saying yes to it, um, that's, that's something liberating altogether. I, I've, if someone ever said that I have a temper, not many people do, but if someone did, I would find great excitement in that <laughs> to say, <laughs> well, yes, actually let's take this moment for me to be really angry. If you, you say I've got a temper, like it's obviously something in me that has suggested that whether it's in my look or a subtle movement, then then let's fly with that in an acting space. An acting space is a, it's a box of safety where you can explore that. I'm not saying that you would use this in real life all the, all of the time, but in the acting space, it's an opportunity to explore yourself because once you've explored it, you have greater control of it as well. You know how to use that part of you, um, to best effect in your work. If it's unexplored, um, it could spiral out of control mm. in your work yeah. and suddenly you've indulged. Yes, yeah. And I know for a lot of men, they suppress, you know, they suppress their feelings and emotions. They deny themselves to be in the full expression of owning, you know, how they feel or what's on their mind and saying, well, and not just men, I'm also there's women out there that do the same thing. So, you know, having this freedom to do that, I think it's really liberating. Absolutely. Yeah. It's how nice would it would it be to live your life like that all the time without having to worry if you have offended someone? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Zip the lips. <laughs> I remember, like, when I first started studying it, it was easy to just um, find a home within the community of people who who studied this work um, because you'd go to your normal course, um, your coursework, um, and then you'd go to dropping classes and you'd be practicing the exercises with people on the weekend because you start hanging out with them because suddenly you're seeing honesty more honesty in people, um, in, in strangers, um, in these very small moments than you've seen in your family, your whole entire life even. Yeah. Right. So yeah. you kind of become addicted to it. I remember it, it, it felt very beautiful living my life like that every day. And it felt, yeah, exhilarating to be able to, to be in practice of something that you've always wanted to do. Um, um, maybe just to let go and not worry about offending someone. As yeah. long as it's the truth and you understand that this is the work. Yes as well because what's in the work may not necessarily be the truth in the moment outside so are you able or have you been able to transfer that across to how you live your life now absolutely yeah and it's it's a simple moment of just taking a moment to breathe Mm. and checking in with yourself 
and then looking at other people and really just listening, mm. you know, maintaining the eye contact is, I, I didn't realize, but in the acting practice, you know, just training, um, with the mindset technique, maintaining the eye contact was a huge life changer. Mm. And then going into film and television, and this is what a lot of actors aren't taught, but film and television, it's actually imperative to maintain a certain level of eye contact without blinking. Oh, as, without blinking. That's right. As part okay. of camera optics. To pull the shot off, yeah. if you're blinking too much, um, it looks like you're not committed to your opinion and not committed to your feelings and not committed to the moment. And then the greater part of it, someone in Hollywood would tell you, well, two eyes blinking on a giant, you know, um, 50 meter movie screen looks like two giant curtains just coming chomping down <laughs> and you've just broken everything for the audience. So just from a, just wow. from a completely technical point of view, blinking is something that, um, they don't necessarily always teach you, but is necessary to pull the film and television gig off. Um, particularly in auditions. Um, if you blink, um, it suggests something completely else about you. Um, mostly that you're not confident um, or not definitive. Mm. You're compromisable and apologetic, mm. Mm. Uh, so perhaps. Um, mm. Gosh. And they want uncompromisable. They want unapologetic. They want unwavering mm. because we're not dealing with the mundane um, in the acting realm, we're dealing with heightened stakes, specific moments that are telling a story. So it means specific opinions, um, that get the point across. And cause each character is fighting for something and the story ends mm. when they've got it mm. or maybe perhaps when they don't have it. Or, yeah. Wow, wow. <laughs> we can go on forever talking about this. There's a lot of insight okay. into, into acting. Yeah. yeah. Um, can you can you talk about how you know sensuality has impacted your life? Mm. Uh, sensuality and emotional exploration. It's a physical exploration in a spiritual being. Mm. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's. I think yeah. that's the way I'd I, I look. I'd like to look at it. Um, I've always. I think there's always been a part of me that has exhibited my exploration of life through the other, the metaphysical ever since I was a kid, even. Um, and then certainly in Aboriginal families, um, Aboriginal families can, um, be very supernatural. Um, uh, supernatural. Yeah. We, we have supernatural, um, tendencies in our, in our paradigm. Um, because I don't know. I, I mean, I, I've met a few Aboriginal people and they seem to me uh, to be more in their masculine energy mm-hmm. rather than their feminine energy, even the woman. I find yeah. they're quite strong women. So, I mean, how you how do you find that? Being, you know, that mm. masculine energy of someone like you who's very much, you ha- you have a really nice dance of being in your, mm-hmm. in your masculine and your feminine. You're able to flow between both. Yeah. I guess, okay, let's put it, let's put it this way. Um, the issues that Aboriginal people are dealing with um, are unresolved issues. Yeah. Unresolved issues, let's face it, and it's going to take a long time for... And it's not just Aboriginal people. It's greater society needs to deal with this, right? Because um, it's systemized issues. Yeah. Um, and 
And so you're constantly in, I would say, um, there's a, a suppression aspect um, to it all to be able to deal. And there certainly is a, a, a masculine energy pushing you forward to be able to be as resilient, mm. to be as strong and to keep on fighting for what is right for, for your family and, and for your people. Mm. Um, and to certainly, certainly in not letting yourself fall into a victim state also. It's, it's, it's their protection armor. Absolutely. And there's a lot to be proud of in the way that we uh, have handled things as a people and to still be here Mm -hmm. um, fighting now. Um, That strength um, to me is when I lose my strength within myself, I can look into the eyes of another Aboriginal person and see them still fight and that can help build me up Mm -hmm. Um, again quite easily, um, which is... um, one of the best things about living in the house that I'm in now with other young Aboriginal people, we're all in grassroots and community work um, or politics, whatever it is there. Um, it's definitely something we can take from each other. But certainly there was a point where I needed to explore that feminine side more. And I think that the dance and acting certainly opened me up to that. It broke me open to allow myself to have that something my father, my father doesn't give himself permission for it. And Mm. he'll speak about that quite openly. Mm. I'll speak to him about acting, you know, allowing yourself to express. And he'll talk about repressed feelings Mm. and why would he want to express his feelings? Um, Well, he's perhaps accepted. It's just the way it is. Yeah. He doesn't feel the need to, to open up and be expressive. This is all he knows. Well, that's 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 right? it, and it's something that I have to also accept. Accept. It's something that I want from him, mm. um, which has shaped my journey. Um, but it's something that I now have to accept in my life that this is just the way my dad is right now, and he will go about it whatever way he needs and wants on his journey mm-hmm. and, and my journey is separate. And this is what I need right now. And any of that expression that I need or outpouring, you know, I can exhibit that in my own life and I can explore that by myself in my own spaces mm-hmm. and that, but maybe my dad isn't the best person to get that from. Yeah. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to know who, who are your mentors or significant people in your life mm. that have helped you transform and um, and be the, the best version of you? Transform and be the best version of me. Well, maybe not, maybe not transform, but, you know, have helped you um, develop into this mm-hmm. beautiful, vulnerable, sensitive, mm-hmm. strong, loving man that you are. It's very kind. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are. You are that. I enjoy the word transform. I think transformation is something that I constantly seek. Mm. It's perhaps something in my Scorpio roots. Scorpios are this this moving water sign mm-hmm. that are always looking to change. And they seek to be surrounded by other people who are also changing also. It's about this need to uncover layers. Um and in that, certainly, 
my mentors in that have been Claire, um, Claire D, who was my acting mentor, is now working within um, her own brand um, with her authentic relating work and, and dating work there. And, and Jules, Jules Sutherland, who facilitates Mojo. And then all of the people who have facilitated other spaces of movement and dance also, not so much mentors in my day-to-day life, but uh, if only they knew how big of a role that they've played, because it's even hard to put weight on from one movement space or dance space to another, as much as we talked about Mojo, when I go to Five Rhythms, I could have a really pivotal exploration of self there that just smacks me in the face and I wasn't expecting. Mm. Um, because you can be moving one minute and then you look around the next and you see art all around you. Mm. And it can be a really um, beautifully confronting moment um, to be surrounded by that. Um, certainly my mum... Uh, over the years, um, my mum has always been supportive, supportive of me in pursuing whatever I have felt I needed to pursue for my happiness. Um, and I needed, definitely needed that in my life. Um, it wasn't so much as she put everything into helping me, but so much as her word was always enough. Um, support for me to go forward because I am very independent and I'll probably do something by myself to be able to get it done the way that I need to, to get it done anyway. So her word was all that has ever been needed. Mm. And, um, and I had key teachers in, in school. I had that, that year eight drama teacher, Mrs. Williams. Um, and had a, had a Japanese teacher, um, who was a motherly figure for me in school um, and who gave me really, um, who helped me have definitive experiences in my life or, or experience opportunities that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Mm. Um, growing up with my mom as a single parent, um, there wasn't much that we could afford in our family and we ended up having to spend a large portion of our lives living with my grandparents um, but my Japanese teacher insisted that me going overseas at some point would be really helpful to my development and learning. And she um, really helped my mum form a plan to help get me over to Japan while I was in high school wow. and experience a homestay. And and that was a really fond, it's a really fond part of my life, actually, just mm not only the experience in Japan, but having that relationship with a teacher. Mm. Um, that's actually, I think when I understood what a mentor was, mm. um, because it's not that she overwent her boundaries, but she extended her care in, in such a way to her students. Mm. Um, she understood what was needed to see them, to see them um, flourish as individuals and and she was willing to help, um, help us with that and and give us advice or whatever we needed to, to reach that. Mm, It's beautiful. Oh, very lucky. Yeah. You've been definitely, um, I would love to know whether you have any, any daily rituals that you get involved in that Mm. help you kind of, you know, help you grounded, keep you grounded Mm -hmm. and, 
you know, keep you feeling internally alive and, mm. and, and yeah, in your, in your senses. Yeah. I've, I have to admit, right. Um, more recent times, I haven't committed to any daily ritual, um, as much as I would like. There was a point in time where I was performing ritual, um, with stones and, and putting my intentions out to the universe, um, through writing. And then I transformed that into speaking, um, those intentions out every day. Um, and then going into dance with that also. Sometimes I would put that intention into drinking a raw cacao brew. Um, yes, you like your, your cacao. I you? love my cacao. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it makes the skin glow. Oh. Um, now it is so much as um, I'm going through a bit of a, a challenge in my life right now. And I definitely have to say things one day at a time. Mm-hmm. I'm not even thinking about tomorrow for the most part. It's mostly focused on getting through day by day. And that includes either getting up and doing a dance for myself. It opens me up to my breath or meditating also. So most recently I went ahead had my tooth infection mm-hmm. and experienced the most pain I've ever experienced in my whole entire life mm. for I think three days before I even went to ER and um that whole time through um it wasn't painkillers that got me through it was actually breathing and meditating yeah, right. that's what helped me sleep that's I would not have been able to sleep at all otherwise I wouldn't be able to get through hour by hour mm. without meditating surrender into the pain surrender into it uh, there yeah and um, and then constantly asking, and this is something that my acting teacher brought me to, Claire, is asking what is possible. What is possible? Yeah. Just waking up first thing in the morning and saying, what is possible? Asking the universe, how can it get better than this? Mm-hmm. And what grand and glorious adventures can I receive I today? I love that. I love that because we can get so caught up in being the victim or... Mm-hmm. As soon as we become uncomfortable with anything, the first thing you want to do is try and fix it. Yes. Uh, instead of just surrendering and knowing that actually it's completely fine to be uncomfortable. Absolutely. So let's welcome this. And the unfolding in that is yes. absolutely spectacular. Mm-hmm. It ignites every sense. Yes. Right? Like you suddenly find that you're stimulated in in all the ways that are completely fulfilling, um, whether via touch or, or by smell or in your sight, it's this whole body experience eventually there. And that becomes very transfer. It becomes visually apparent to other people. <laughs> they feel energetically, they see it visually on your face. Yeah. Um, and then, and then the way you interact with people going forward is, um, very different. Also, once you're ignited by, by all of that challenge mm-hmm. and that's just been opened up and unfolded mm. in, into the world there. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to get up and dance and just move my body now. Yeah. All right. Um, mm. Mm. I think how long have we been speaking for? A while. That's good. <laughs> uh, I would love to know whether you have any any words of wisdom that you would like to share 
Any words of wisdom yeah. that I'd like to share? Ah, that's a good question. Mm. I feel like if you ask my dad, he would just be able to talk straight away on that. But often I feel like I, I devalue myself to the point where sometimes where I don't feel like I have any immediate thing to say. I guess there's no go-to thing I can say um, for that, but... Often, you know what? You've had some wonderful words of wisdom throughout this interview. Some really beautiful nuggets there that I've definitely taken away. Well, I guess I need to... Yeah, I guess that's where I usually take it away from, actually. And that is... I don't self-appoint myself to that. I'd let someone else... Mm. I'd let someone else tell me. It's it's just like... Someone who's a good leader is... They're not a self-appointed leader. They're someone else who other people call a leader. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's certainly the same with wisdom. I've never, I've never, um, never seen myself as someone who's wise or could always teach other people. But if someone gets value out of something I say, well, um, then that's a learned experience. Um, Mm -hmm. so I guess the, the main things actually, you know what? I spoke on a panel at a conference at a leadership conference a, a few weeks ago and there are two takeaways that actually I did speak to the young people there about. And the first one is, is breathe and just ask what's next. What's the next step? Because, and I found this was applicable to everything. Well, you're in meditation, you're breathing, or do you mean just in breathing and just asking internally yourself what's next? Asking yourself internally mm-hmm. what's next, because this can become overwhelming quite easily. Mm. And we think so far ahead and just taking that moment to let your breath drop into yourself just asking, okay, what is the next step? And then really just absorbing yourself in the next step rather than the next 10 steps. Mm -hmm. Because those next 10, those other nine steps aren't going to come unless Mm -hmm. this next step is done properly. Mm -hmm. Um, I found that with everything you know, when it comes to leadership, whether it comes to my career or even, you know, when a relationship hasn't turned out the way that I want mm. or, you know, or the way either of you idealized it, mm. particularly a breakup. Mm. Yeah. I know the only way I've been able to get through a breakup is just by breathing and going, what's next? What do I need next? What mm. do I need to do next? Mm. Um, because often that can get quite confusing. Um, and then the other one is to to own yourself yeah. amongst all that you are. Yes. Whether it would be it could be perceived as good or bad, owning that and particularly facing darkness mm. um, within yourself, it allows you to have more more light as well. Um, and I know for me, a big part of my journey was facing my darkness and saying, well, that's still in there. I haven't gotten rid of it. There's the potential for that's all there, but I can use the energy that's put toward all that and really wield it in, in this mm-hmm. other way to, um, to navigate life. Yes. Well, it's the polarity, isn't it? For you mm. to have love. Absolutely. You have darkness too. It's the yin and the yang. Being able to to love all of you. Absolutely. Mm. And I feel like once you can come to that point, you can then start to love another person. Yes. Um, to, to a better ability. Mm-hmm. 
And certainly when it comes to... Coming from a place of, I think, truth without projecting or without that neediness or control. Yeah. You've just been able to hold space for them and yourself in a place of authenticity Mm -hmm. and grounding and and true love. Absolutely. And I think the holding space is, is a big thing. Such a big thing. Because often we, as humans, we, we like to give advice mm-hmm. <laughs> um, from our own experiences, which is totally valid because we're, we're having a shared experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only way we get through this is by sharing our advice from our unique experiences mm-hmm. that we have every day. Um, but just sitting down and listening to someone, holding space for them, um, to be where they are um, is, is so powerful and it's so generative as far as um, far as as far as continuing a relationship goes in whatever form it is mm. there um, accepting someone for where they're at yeah. and knowing okay so the way forward is by taking them taking them from where they're at right now and I can start to form decisions about my next interaction with them Mm. Um, from there whether it might be you know that touch that you need to give them or Mm. or or the next words that you do need to say or or that they're open to hearing that's right Mm. yeah Mm, so beautiful oh it's been such a pleasure to interview you um I'm so pleased thank you we finally managed to to do this um is there anything else that you would like to to say that perhaps we haven't covered? Oh, looks to be honest, I feel like and there's always a million things <laughs> sometimes that I always think of after. After, me you too. Know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll be like, oh, I wish I had it. Absolutely. This. <laughs> Damn, I forgot about that. <laughs> but I think it's perfect. Absolutely. I always speak, you know, conferences, rallies, Mm -hmm. um, all sorts of things there. And I feel like, oh God. But then I always think, well, that was just one opportunity of many that you always have in your life. Your message doesn't always need to come out Mm. in in one go. It's an unfolding story. It is. And I'm really excited to see how this podcast unfolds and I love the synchronicity of how everything has happened leading up to this point because after I interview you I get to interview Jill Sutherland who's mm. the founder of Mojo Dance so it's gonna I be get, so delicious oh, so <laughs> delicious it'll be juicy and beautiful and oh yeah she's so she's just great so I'm looking forward to that but um yeah this is this has been about you and your journey and hearing of your background so um yeah i'm truly grateful for um this time with you thank you thank you very much yeah i really appreciate it i appreciate sharing having that space to share Mm, thank you Mm, wasn't that just a beautiful interview with jai thank you so much for listening if you want to contact jai or myself and know uh, more about the work that i do within the sensuality space feel free to contact me uh, my email is connect at sharonhoffman.com.au you can always visit my website which is sharonhoffman.com.au and you can see uh, the different programs that i offer and as well as one-on-one coaching 
Yeah, that's it. My first one launched. Uh, next week, I get to interview Jill Sutherland, the co-founder of Mojo Dance. Uh, Jill's is also involved in more than Mojo, so looking forward to hearing of her journey and speaking all things sensuality. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.